0: Good morning, SOMA Federal Way. It is a pleasure to be with you again. I I hope you've been blessed and encouraged this last month as you've had the opportunity to hear from our elder couples. Um, I pray that as they've reflected on 2020, it's allowed you to reflect as well, to think about what the Lord was doing in that year and what he's going to continue to do in your heart as you follow Jesus. Today, we're starting a new series, and to do that, I wanna um, offer something to you. So this is just a journal. It's got a little string, it's got a cool little anchor, I kinda like that. But um, I'm not a physics teacher, so bear with me for a second, but there's this thing called centripetal force, okay? So what that is, is that there's something in the center that is putting a force upon an outer object that's causing it to stay connected to the center. So you can imagine if on this journal, there was some water. That would, because it would not be bound tightly to the center or anything around what is connected to the center, it would be expelled out. It would go flying away. But because this journal is connected to this string that's connected to this center, it's causing it to stay connected to the middle. Now, I want you to think for a moment of of this. What is the centripetal force of the church? What is the very center that is bringing the body of Christ into unity with one another? Today, we're starting a new series that we're calling The Future Presence. We're going to be spending the next few months in a couple different mini-series focusing on the book of 1 Corinthians and seeing how Paul is establishing the church to live in the present with Jesus' future kingdom in mind. So how do we live in the future in light of Jesus' future kingdom? And so these are gonna be broken up into different ways in which Paul has established them around larger categories. And the first of these categories is establishing unity. What does it mean for there to be a center? And what I wanna to submit to you this morning is we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses one through 17, primarily in verses 10 through 17, is that Jesus is the center of the church. If I personally or we corporately have anything other than Jesus as the center, we will eventually decay. So Paul is addressing in his letter to the Corinthians this idea about unity. But before that, let's understand what, what Corinth is about and um, what's going on here. Uh, a little plug during this series, we're going to be putting together uh, teachings that go along with the sermons on Sundays. They're going to be a little bit more of a deeper dive. For any, um, There's a series guide that we've also put together that we've made available, as well as weekly study guides that are going to go along with the sermon that you can use in your missional community, your DNA group, or even your personal time with God. So I'm... That's gonna accompany this, it's gonna go in a little bit more depth into the text in certain ways. So if you want that, I encourage you to go there. And so some of the things that I'm gonna talk about, I do a little bit more extensively in that. But for this time, what do we know about Corinth? So I want you to think of Corinth as a mixture of multiple cities. Um, Corinth was a Roman colony. Um, It was colonized uh, by Julius Caesar, actually. And so as a colony, it was a little bit like Washington, D.C. It had dignitaries. It carried with it the ethos of the Roman Empire. But it was also a little bit like Seattle. Corinth was a port city that was really strategically placed. And you had merchants. You had economic life that people were desiring to be in Corinth. And so people were moving there, but you also had a lot of people coming to and fro, coming into the city with lots of ideas from different parts of the world. So you had a melting pot of ideas. Uh, Along with that though, being a port city, you had a little bit of Las Vegas. By Las Vegas, I'm talking about the low moral standards that came with port cities. Because you had a lot of that, you had cult prostitutes that were part of these temples. You had lots of things that were going um, underneath the standard by which God's called humanity to be. And lastly, because it was Roman, because um, it was part of the Greco-Roman Empire, it was very pagan, which means it had a lot of um, gods. It it had a pantheon of gods from the Roman cult empire uh, that considered... Caesar to be a god, to all the different Greek gods that they had morphed into Roman gods. Um, So this had a little bit of Salt Lake City, uh, the false temples all over the place. It was a plethora of spiritual life. And this spiritual life, infused with its economic life and its social life, became a very interesting place for the Corinthians, and specifically the Christian Corinthians, to live in the future presence. And so Paul planted the Corinthian church, and we find that story in Acts chapter 18. He had left Athens. He had traveled over to Corinth. He had um, gone to the synagogue, like was his standard. He would go there. and then he would um, gather these people into a, a body of believers, a church. He would leave, um, but then there would be continual correspondence. So his job as an apostle, as we will see, is not just to start the church, but it was to continue to strengthen and establish the church in the gospel. And so 1 Corinthians is actually kind, technically 2 Corinthians. There was another letter back and forth that would have come before 1 Corinthians that we don't have. And then there was another letter after 1 Corinthians, That came before 2 Corinthians. So, while this is technically 2 Corinthians, we we call it the first letter of Paul to the Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians. And so, when Paul, as an apostle, not only plants the church, but he is establishing, the question is, what is he establishing them in? And as I mentioned, we've titled this series, The Future Present, It's establishing the church to live now in light of Jesus' future kingdom. One of the things that we're going to see over and over in this series is how Paul brings about the reality of Jesus' fulfilled future kingdom. And he tells them that it is present now and that they should live now in light of that. So when we think about the kingdom of God, oftentimes... We talk about it being already, but not yet. It's already in that it is here because Jesus um, has inaugurated it in his life, death, and resurrection. The sending of the Spirit now binds us as the people of God, the church. And we get to live in line with the ethics of the kingdom of God. We saw that in the Sermon on the Mount. We saw that in Daniel. How we as exiles are in a foreign land to live not according to the world's standards, but according to the standards that Jesus has laid out in his kingdom. And so in ways, the future um, kingdom is our, not only our not yet when it will be fully realized, but it's kind of our true north. So think of it like a compass. It is, the, um, it is how we guide our ship and our lives to know that we're going in that direction. And so it is the reference point to what we make our decisions about here and now. When we talk about living in line with the gospel, this is kind of what we mean. The power of the gospel is that we have been saved from the penalty of our sins because of Jesus. That we are being saved from the power of sin because of Jesus. And one day we will be saved from the presence of sin in the new heavens and new earth. So when we talk about living in line with the gospel, the future present is living now because one day we will not have sin present in the world that is um, infiltrating our very lives in the decisions that we make. This is the future orientation of the gospel and of God's kingdom. But the miraculous thing is that it's not just future. The king, it is present. It is now. It is here. So our job as God's people, we are to live now as if it were here. Because of Jesus, it is here So it's not just some far off, oh, one day I'll be able to do that. No, it's to say, no, that is here and now as God's people living under the rule and reign of King Jesus. So in my daily life, I start to think and ask the question, what will the future kingdom be like and how can I live that now? Will that be part of the new heavens and new earth? Will that make it into the day where... um, my work has an impact. How does this impact my work? How does it impact how I live, love my family? How does it impact how I serve my neighbors? So how does that future um, happen now? And because of the Spirit of God, it is present. And so Paul's first order in speaking to the Corinthians and is establishing them in unity, establishing them as one. Now I know in our moment, this is... A very hot topic. This is a buzzword. A lot of people are talking about unit from the inauguration to church leaders and all. It's like, how can we be unified? But this is something that even Paul has been addressing thousands of years before us and very early on in the life of the church. How can they be unified? How does the future kingdom and when we will be one with the Father and the Son, living in the divine life fully, new bodies in this renewed earth, how can that unity, that relationship, influence how we relate to one another now? And that's what Paul addresses in the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians. And so he begins this in verse verse 10 appealing to them by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Verse 11, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Caiaphas or I follow Christ. And so Paul has heard word that there is division among them, that they're not living unified. And while this isn't like groups of people, like, oh, we're the the people of Paul or we're the people of Apollos, what he's addressing are stylistic differences, okay? Now, because later on, he actually commends Apollos to them. Like He says, no, Apollos is gonna be coming to you for your building up. So he's not in disagreement with Apollos here. He's not in disagreement with Caiaphas or Peter. He is um, saying, you guys have personal preferences that you are more drawn to. And what he's correcting them is, is that these style differences are not to be the centripetal force. It's not to be the center. Jesus is to be the center of that. And so this is something that we have in our day as well. Whether this, and we'll talk about this locally, and let's talk about this um, translocally as well. This is one of the reasons why we as a Soma family, do multiple teachers why I'm not up 100% of the time or no communicators up 100% of the time Um, and so in our day in our midst it would be like you say oh I like Jeff's style I'm only going to listen and be part of it when Jeff talks or I like Curvaco or Steve or Chris I like Justin I'm only going to be I only like them and so I'm going to kind of uh, bend my actions around their style and what they're like and then all those others I'm going to just kind of not really engage. That's what's happening in Corinth. This happens not just in our local context, though. This also happens as the Church of Jesus universally. And I'll just focus on the Western Church in America for a moment. I mean, you have this tribalism that's happening in our church in our day where it's like, oh, I'm more of a Piper guy or I'm more of a Keller guy. I'm, not, I'm more like T.D. Jakes or I like Stephen Furtick. I'm going to only listen to those guys. And with the ease of access in podcasts, It's very easy to disassociate from the local body of believers and feel, quote, fed by other communicators. Now, are they gifted by God? Absolutely. Is that a good thing to um, supplement our teaching and to engage in the body of Christ? Absolutely. But when that style preference becomes the center, almost as if it's an identity and it becomes an idolatry, that is what Paul is addressing. Like, no, no, those people were not crucified for you. As he says in, um, was, uh, Paul crucified you, verse 13. Were you baptized in the name of me? No. So don't have personal preference as the centerpiece. Jesus is to be the centerpiece. The gospel of what he's done for you and me is to be the center of what binds us together. Now, that was the temptation that was um, expelled or the way that they were not going to be unified. He was addressing it in the divisions of style preferences. In our day, it goes beyond style preferences, though. The church has temptations and, um, and ways in which we are being drawn away from being unified. Um, and So I'm going to talk about it both on an uh, individual level And on a corporate level. So individually, there's other things that tempt us away from being unified, established in unity. This could be causes, okay? So the question is, what are other centers other than Jesus? You could have a cause that you think is so pivotal and so central that if other people don't have that as the center, you will not bind together or unite together. So if a cause is the center, Anybody that does not have that same center will not be unified in the way that you are. And this doesn't mean the causes are bad. Actually, many they are very good causes. But when at any point when this cause takes away Jesus and his gospel as the center by which it influences how we live in that cause, that's a problem. Now, this can be in racial relationships. This can be causes of abortion. This could be in economic injustices. And so what Paul is establishing them in is all these different things, while good things to focus on, if that is your center, what happens when somebody that has a different um, preference than you, whether it's a different cause or even a different opinion on that cause or how it um, is lived out, What happens when you try to unify together in one church? If the center, the centripetal force, is that cause, you're only going to be a group of people that believes in that cause, and that's going to be the thing that draws you together, not Jesus. And you're going to look like one another. You're going to act like one another, as opposed to being a body built up of many parts. Are those good causes? Yes, absolutely. But they can't be the center. Only Jesus can be the center. Now, it may not be cause. It also may be um, politics. I mean, we've been just coming out of a really intense political season. And I've talked with other church leaders and there's been a pressure in a lot of ways to pick size size politically. And so if a political party or a political platform or person politically is the center that you unite around as a church, that is a problem. Whether it's democratically blue, like you're, you're going to focus on those, that politics in that form. And so anybody that's red is going to be, or that tends to be Republican is going to be expelled. That's a problem vice versa. If Christianity is associated with Republican or red, and anybody that does not live according to that platform is expelled because that color or that side of the aisle is the center, that is a problem. That's not how the church is to be unified. The church is to unify around Jesus and his kingdom, which It supersedes and is on a completely different platform than our left-right spectrum. It can compassionately and prophetically speak to both. And so if you personally have the tendency to create um, the center for you around who you unite with around a political party platform or person, that is a problem. And lastly, personally, this could be personal preferences around COVID. I know we've talked about this, but how you react, do you wear a mask, do you not, the polarization of what this pandemic has created. Uh, If that is, I'm only going to hang out with people that think about me the same way about this. If that is your tendency, that's not placing Jesus as the center. Jesus and his gospel is to be the center by which we as the church are unified. Now, those are personal temptations. What about corporately? Now, there's, we as the Soma family have temptations that could put other things other than Jesus in the center of it. Now, I'm going to put, um, two of them together, this is, we, it could be our ecclesiology or missiology. And what I mean by that is how we live life as the church and the way we do that on his mission. So these are good things. These are distinctives that we have. So when there's missional communities, DNA groups, everyday discipleship, gospel centrality, all of those different pieces that are really um, distinct and make us us, if those things become the center if missional community becomes the center as opposed to Jesus, we've taken it a good thing and made it a God thing. If we say saying mission is everyday life or it only looks like this way, it's, there's lack of structure or it's more organic or whatever it may be and it has to be this way, if that's the center, then what we've done is we've made something other than the gospel and Jesus be our center and we need to repent. But it could also be community itself as the center or our family identity as a center. Now, that's a good thing. That's a godly thing that we want to protect and we want to preserve and we believe that that's a central piece to this. However, if Jesus is not the center of that family, what happens when a community member or a family member all of a sudden offends you? What if they sin against you? What if they no longer are living like good family with you? If family is the center, what could happen is like, well, they are out, I'm gonna go find another good family. I'm gonna go either look for another missional community or even leave the church because I've been offended or I've been sinned against. But let me just tell you right now, like if you're gonna be part of SOMA, you're going to be offended, you're going to be hurt, you're going, not because you're it's on purpose, But just because we're sinful beings trying to live in line with the gospel, that hasn't fully been realized yet. And so, for us, if family is censored and not Jesus who creates family, we're going to have the tendency to when family is no longer there to go elsewhere. But, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the center of the church. All of us have made a mistake in some way. All of us have been part of, whether it's my own personal preference, whether it's believing corporately what should be the center, all of us have made a mistake. All of us has placed something else as a center point which brings unity. So what do we do with that? And this is where Paul goes and we're gonna talk about this next week in more detail. This is where the foolishness of the cross comes in, that God himself took on human flesh, dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, but in his life showed us what God means to be perfectly God and perfectly man. He died in our place. The very sin that wants to push us outward, he took on himself so that we could be drawn to him and towards one another. And now we have the spirit, the spirit of unity that binds us together, not around personal preferences, not around corporate preferences, but around Jesus himself. So when we place something other than Jesus at the center, we need God's grace, and he freely gives it. When we as a community go a different way, trying to make it something other than Jesus, By His grace, He brings us, He woos us back to the center, which is Him. All of us are in need of the gospel. All of us have done this. And all of us are needed for true gospel-centered, future, present unity. Establishing the church in unity, not over personal preferences, not over causes or politics or COVID, or ecclesiology, or missiology, or even the family itself unites us. It is Jesus that unites us. It is Jesus that builds the church. It is Jesus that is the center. And so for you, where have you placed anyone or anything other than Jesus as the center? As you, in your micro-emissional communities, or even in your family units at home, I invite you to have the conversation, to reflect, to think about where have you been a culprit of this? Where are you in need of the gospel? And how are you being invited to live the future presently as if Jesus' kingdom is here because it is? Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've done in Paul, how you've given him and inspired him, by your Spirit to write these words to Corinth, but through Corinth to us, how we are to be unified as one, as Father, Son, and Spirit of one. And what brings us together, what is the force that binds us, is not our personal preferences. It's not even our corporate preferences. It's Jesus at the center. So Father, I pray that you help us by your Spirit keep Jesus at the center of all we do as we live the future present.